I have seen the future of marketing and it is killing me. Well, no, that's not really true. But in this episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast, I do speak with Joe Polizzi and Robert Rose, authors of Killing Marketing, How Innovative Businesses Are Turning Marketing Costs Into Profit. Fascinating, something that obviously applies to the mammoth Netflix and Amazons of the world. But I think that this is an approach that actually might apply to just about any business going today and how to get them to think completely differently about everything that they do in marketing. Check it out. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest, yes, that's plural, Joe Polizzi, founder of Content Marketing Institute and Robert Rose, the chief strategy advisor of the same. We're going to talk about a new book by both of them today called Killing Marketing, How Innovative Businesses Are Turning Marketing Cost Into Profit. So Joe, Robert, thanks for joining me. John, thank you so much. Oh, this is super fun. Appreciate it. Yeah. So um, this is how many books for you guys together? Like three or four? I think it's a 70, 70 something. Yeah, it's in the 70s. (laughs) Actually, believe it or not, this is this is only our second book together. Only your second one. together. Okay. Mm -hmm. so did you do this one different? I like I I know in this book you've kind of got here's Joe's chapter. Here's Robert's chapter. That's not what you did in the last one, though, is it? No, the last one was the last one was completely different. The yeah. last one really was, you know, it, it was Robert's brainchild, and I sort of tagged along with him. Yeah. And the different thing about this one is we sort of came up with this concept almost at the same time. Like this story has to be told, yeah. and we both had different areas of focus that we wanted to focus on, which worked out great. And now we, as you said, we just sort of said, "Joe, you take this one. Robert, you take this one." And it worked great for the audio book too, because right then I then <laughs> I didn't easy. have to yeah. do the whole thing yeah. by myself. So yeah. yeah, there you go. So so Joe, um, you your relationship is that the right word with Content Marketing Institute has changed a little. Is that something you can talk about? <laughs> yes. <laughs> You know, yes, Joe, tell us yeah, what is, exactly. well, tell us all about Content Marketing Institute. Oh, I'm <laughs> hey, uh, I think what's the I guess we could sort of talk about it now. So it's it's kind of yeah. going public. I'm moving out of an operational role. I mean, always a part of CMI, always going to be its content marketing world, our big event. Uh, but I am looking to do some different things uh, and spend more time with the family and do some more travel with my family. And uh, that'll start in January. And I'm going to leave basically all my duties to Robert nice. thankfully <laughs> and he is going to he is going to carry the torch the rest of the way so no I mean it's been a great run um, 10 years with content marketing Institute and of course I'll always be the founder always be a part of this thing but you know we've got some opportunities today and and uh, really I really just wanted to make life hard on Robert yeah um, <laughs> and so this was the best way to do that well, plus yeah. you're just probably tired of content right? Oh my God! I can't tell you how tired I am of content marketing. No, actually, you know it's it's funny. Um, all the books. So this is my fifth book uh, with between Robertson and, and my individual books, and this is the one I'm most excited about. Yeah. Because I think we finally hit on something that is is going to change most organizations, small, medium, and large, and they don't even know it. And that's 
So I'm leaving it maybe the the high the high point, and then I'll just kind of go off into the shadows and and I'll I'll check in on Robert on occasion. Yeah, I would agree. This is um, this is a big idea book, and your other books were great books, or or certainly the last book content. And in, in a lot of ways, I think you were maybe more almost reporting on what is. Um, whereas I think this book is more here's what's coming. I, that's my assessment. I could be completely off, but uh, that's how it feels. So early on in the book, you evoke uh, one of my heroes, Peter Drucker, uh, talking about the purpose of a business. And actually, that that statement of the purpose of a business is to create and keep a customer uh, is probably the genesis of duct tape marketing, believe it or not. Um, and that, that book, The Practice of Management, had a lot to do with informing kind of my thinking. Um, and so how, you know, does that, that obviously hasn't changed, but how we go about doing that seems to have changed. Uh, so how does that play out in killing marketing? Well, first of all, let me just tell you that if I didn't love you already, now I love you even more (laughs) by bringing in my hero, Peter Drucker into the whole uh, mix here. Um, the practice of management is probably one of the fundamental reasons that I'm in the career I am in today. Um, and it's you're right. It's absolutely this. That has not changed. It's funny because where marketing is today has really lost sight of what Drucker was talking about. You know, when he was talking about the purpose of a business creating a customer, he you know, that idea has become so morphed these days into persuasion, right? So yeah. it, it has it has transformed marketing into how do we find people and persuade them that our product and service is worth doing. And what he was talking about was create literally creating a customer from nothing. In other words, creating a customer that comes to their own conclusion that your product or service is worth their time or their money. And that being the purpose of a business. And what we have what we, you know, set out to sort of talk about in this book was we started with this fundamental question, which was, and and this was something that we borrowed, and it's a quote that's been attributed to Mark Twain, and he, there's no evidence that he actually ever said it, which is that it's not what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for absolute right, sure right, that right. does. <laughs> and the question we opened up with was, what if everything we know about marketing today is what's holding us back? And we started down this path, and what we started to see were these companies, and we've seen the trends, how companies today are rebooting what it even means to build an audience first and use that as a valuable way of creating customers so that marketing itself can become a profitable part of the business. So instead of just being the department that makes pretty pictures or the department that spews out advertising or that makes cold calls or that tries to convert customers using all manner of collateral material, marketing the function actually becomes that which builds and creates customers, which we're now calling audiences. So this, this a big part of this, obviously from both of your backgrounds too, is this idea of content and content marketing. And I mean – is this an evolution of how we how are coming to think about content? I mean, I, I know we used to say content is king. That was kind of cool for a while. And then, <laughs> and then I think in a lot of ways it's become air, you know, yep. really for, you know, for every sort of channel and element. And even as you suggested in your last book, uh, a business model in itself. I mean, is this another evolution of Content marketing. I'm going to come back to that term, content marketing, but I'll let you answer that first. Yeah, yeah. I would. I'll take this one, Robert. I I think that if we just look at 
to the traditional, um, I don't want to say definition, but but how most organizations think about content marketing. They say, oh, we're going to create valuable, relevant, and compelling content. Right. We're going to distribute that on a platform, and we're going we're gonna to build an audience in some way in order to sell our product or service, right. which, by the way, is fine. That's great. If you do that and you're successful with it, that's basically content marketing. I think the difference is what we talk about in killing marketing is – you don't have to limit it to just that. We think there's something bigger. And as Robert talked about, this is, and you talked about, this is a business model change. So we believe instead of setting up your marketing organization for interruption, like it has been basically been set up for the last 50 years, what if we set it up around groups of audiences that we get really close to, we build loyal and trusted relationships with, and we don't just create one revenue stream. We create four, five. We talk about 10 different revenue streams in the book. And what we're seeing a lot of companies out there do, they're, they're starting to dip their toe in the water and they're coming up with new products and services because they have these audiences that they never dreamed they would do before. You know, Robert talks like about babycenter.com from Johnson & Johnson all the time and how they've created this standalone media property that's that enables them to not only sell more of their stuff, but to create more products and services than they never thought ever thought was possible. Craft has done the same thing with craft uh, food and family. Um, so those types of things that we're seeing where you can actually say, oh, if we build an audience that's loyal and trusting to us and they start to look for us for guide, look to us for guidance, we can actually transform the business into something that we weren't even prepared to go do and go. And by the way, this model is in full effect right now with Amazon.com. Sure. Just so you know. I yeah. mean, it's happening. Oh, yeah. And by the way, Amazon will be the most valuable company probably inside of five years in the world. And they're doing it because they're so focused on their customers. And they're not just saying, this is what we want to sell. They're right. saying, well, if we get really close to that customer, what are the possibilities? And of course, Jeff Bezos is showing us what those possibilities are. Yeah, I think that I think you look at just even this week, the, the whole uh, we can deliver inside your home thing is actually, I don't, I don't, hopefully you've read about that. Um, so mm -hmm. going too mm -hmm. much. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of that has to be, hey, if we do this thing that we think will be more convenient, it will actually let us sell security systems. For example, and, and, and I maybe didn't lay that out right, but it, again, the, the first thought was our customer, this will be a service or a better experience for our customers. Oh, and look, it allows us to do X. Well, or look at just what they're doing. They're putting six and a half billion dollars into, I mean, Amazon won an Academy Award this year, right, you right. know, or, a, or an Emmy Award this year, excuse right. me. And the, I mean, this, here's an online bookstore that sells some level of technology and now is really the online version of Walmart. And they're winning Emmy awards for the creation of original content. But if you look at their investment in content, the six and a half billion that they're putting into things like, um, you know, all of their original programming, they're looking at that as a marketing cost in order to sell more prime memberships, yeah. which of course is about buying things. And so they look at the investment in original content that they're serving over the prime streaming service as a marketing cost for them. So they're turning into an integrated media platform before our very eyes, but they're looking at it as a way of pulling in an audience that they can monetize in other ways. So I realize this is a dangerous question um, given who I'm talking to, but is the term content marketing really the wrong term? Sure, fine. 
I mean, if you know, if you don't like it, you know what I mean. <laughs> well, There's, but no, we've but never been we've never been that attached to the term, but we have yet to find a better one. Well, here's here's and, what I here's what I mean by that. It's not that not yeah. that content marketing itself is a bad term. It's just that if we look at that as a form of marketing, like social media marketing or mobile marketing, that it really is just marketing that happens to use content. No. I mean, okay. the, the, the difference, I mean, in the two that you mentioned, and I realize this is semantics at, at right, some right, level, right. but the two that you mentioned are channel-based, right? So yes. it's like saying TV marketing or newspaper marketing when I say social media marketing or mobile marketing. And so the, the, that would be where I would draw those differentiations. When we say content marketing, what we're describing, whether we're describing it well or not is for debate, but what we're describing is the methodology of using an owned media platform to integrate into the everything else you're else you're doing as a business, right? So it's using the idea of our ability to create compelling, wonderful, engaging, inspiring, thought leadership oriented content as a means of changing the behavior of a consumer. Yeah. So it's it's so it's a it's a it's it's something that gets infused into the broader marketing strategy. Now, what I would concede, and I'm sure Joe would agree, is that at some point content marketing as a separate idea becomes subsumed into the broader topic of marketing and it just becomes a different way that we call marketing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because social media marketing requires content. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So does TV marketing and so right. does newspaper marketing and so does PDF marketing and right, fax right, marketing right. and everything else. Yeah. Fax marketing. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I did it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yep. What used to be very important. <laughs> well, if I had a fax machine, well, I, I would that's probably where, still I mean, get Honestly, some. that's yeah. where – so it's funny we say fax marketing. Yeah. So we, social media, it's just channels. Yeah. There's that's no there's no right. strategic methodology. You could say there's a strategic methodology behind it depending on – again, it's some, it is semantics. Yep. But the reason why we call it content marketing is it is right now a fundamentally different approach to with to most organizations. If you just call it marketing or the marketing the way we think it should be, they don't get it. Yeah. So you have to call it something different yeah. today, and in five years, we might not have to. So some of what you talk about in killing marketing, or I guess I should ask this rather than state it, uh, will it require a company to – because of the change that I think, even if it's a mindset change that it requires, will it also require in some cases for them to maybe cannibalize today's profits? You know, that's a really interesting question. I think – because there's two sides of that, right? The, the the one side is I think it's a really interesting point you bring up, which is does it does it immediately lean toward creating new products and services? And and that's one of the biggest pushbacks, quite frankly, is that if done right, when we look at content marketing, it starts to look a lot more like product development methodology than it does campaign or traditional marketing related methodology, because you're building a product ostensibly that you're trying to build an audience for and monetize and multiple ways. And so it looks very much like a product. And so that's a really interesting question when we start talking about, does it cannibalize the efforts of what we're doing elsewhere? Right. However, there's a flip side of that. The other side of that sword is, can it actually begin to improve the margins of what we're doing sure. for other things, right? So you look at a manufacturing company where they may be looking at really lean, lean margins, but if they can start to integrate media into their business, which of course has and enjoys quite high margins, mm -hmm. Can they actually add a point or two to their total bottom line by actually monetizing content and thought leadership and other things in a different way? So I think there's a I think there's an opportunity for both things to be true. 
Yeah, and I, and I, I, don't, I can't think of a great example, but, you know, years ago, the newspapers, you know, hung on. They, they saw the train coming right at them, but then they hung on to classified ads, for example, as a profit center because to just give them away, even though that train was headed towards them, was hard to do. Yeah. John, that's actually a great example. I mean, you know, I, I grew up in magazine publishing and we were so afraid, the executives at, at my company were so afraid to say, okay, well, we can do all this web stuff, right. but make sure that we still sell those print pages. Yeah. That's the most important thing. Right. So we deliberately were not cannibalizing our business. We were trying to just add on, oh, other lines, this will be great, but this is the core. I think that's the problem and what newspapers didn't do in magazine publishing because they they had the processes, they had the people, they had the content, they had the audience. Yeah. They had everything to do what and Amazon.com is doing today. Yeah. But they didn't do it yeah. because they were afraid of cannibalization. And I think today you absolutely have to run at it and say, we have to cannibalize ourselves before somebody else does. Right, right. And it's a wonder that, you know, you look at what from looking at it, looking at it from the small business side for just a moment. One of the entrepreneurs that I admire most out there is Brian Clark and what he's been able to do with Copyblogger. Yep. And if you look at what he started with, he built a media company first that had nice, wonderful high margins and built that media company. And now he's started to build products alongside that and become this integrated product and media company where his audience is telling him what products to sell, mm -hmm. software, software as a service, other types of services that they're now starting to offer and education, et cetera where he can now go into what might be a lower margin business because he started in such a high margin business. So there's really interesting opportunities there. But to your point, it becomes interesting as to where you start cannibalizing from one or the other. Well, I know a business called Duct Tape Marketing that yeah. has done the same thing. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and Brian I already and I, duly noted. <laughs> Brian and I have talked about this a lot. You know, And Brian kind of, I mean, it's great to call people that figured this out, did it, and then everybody said they're geniuses. I mean, Brian would be the first to admit he wasn't really sure where he was headed with this. And then oh, all of a sudden it was like, yeah. oh, look what we did. <laughs> um, and, and I wonder if a lot, even some of the examples in, in your book um, are really companies that it wasn't so much intentional as much as it was just trying to ride what seemed to be going on. And then all of a sudden look, woke up one day and went, wait a minute, <laughs> this is a whole nother business. Yeah. Or a willingness well, to change. A willingness yeah, 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 to adapt yeah. is yeah. the key there, right? Well, yep. I mean, it gets a great example of is uh, Red Bull Media House. I know we talk about it all the time, but that was an as a happy accident. Yeah. Red Bull Media Company, you know, Media House becoming maybe one of the the largest, uh, most important uh, sports media companies out there started because they wanted to do a print magazine at the racetrack. Yep. They wanted to do a show daily. That show daily turned into the Red Bolton, which now has two million subscribers, and then all the videos and the syndication, and they're they're uh, they're having the New York Times and Wall Street Journal pay them money for some of their content. I mean, that that stuff happened from just an idea. Yeah. So that's yeah. how it mostly happens. Yeah. So so let's get to another really big idea in this book. Um, I talked to a lot of marketers who view still view marketing as an expense. Of course, I try to convince them it's an investment, but you're going to suggest that it's a profit center or can be a profit center. Absolutely. It can be both. It can be all of those things, right? I mean, you know, so one of the things that we talk through in the book is not only 
you know, because a lot of companies aren't ready, quite frankly, for the revenue opportunities that building a media platform might uh, might provide. They're looking simply at how do they make their marketing more efficient and a more efficient expense or, to your point, an investment. And there are a lot of ways to do that. And one of them, of course, is to start to leverage the asset that you call audience when you start looking at how leveraging the value of an audience can help make the rest of your marketing better. Just a simple example. If you've got a a viable, subscribed, and trusting audience, using that data to, for example, upload it to LinkedIn or Facebook or use it for retargeting and make your media buy that you're doing, your, your regular advertising media buy, more efficient. And if you can save money because you've got the data that you're using to target advertising in a more relevant way, well, that's making marketing more efficient and it's taking more advantage of the investment that you're putting in marketing more broadly. Yeah, I would just add on to that. What we find, what Robert and I find when we go into these enterprises is that they absolutely aren't even thinking about the possibilities of what happens when you have a loyal audience of subscribers Mm. and just want them to think a little bit differently. And that's why we throw examples like, hey, have you thought, have you seen what Salesforce has done? They've created maybe one of the most valuable events in the world called Dreamforce, 175,000 people in San Francisco every year. And they started it from just a simple customer database. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Th- those are. I mean, that's th- if that was sold, it would sell for almost a billion dollars. I think just that event. Yeah. So it's amazing what can happen. And the problem is we're, ourselves. We're getting in the way. We're not thinking about it. When wow, we're doing these activities as part of marketing. We could be paying for marketing plus them. And I, Robert is right. Some companies aren't ready. But I think the bigger issue is they're just not even thinking about yeah. it. That's right. the problem. Well, and that kind of leads me to my next question. Is, is in your view, are there certain kinds of companies or companies that are set up a certain way or, or maybe they are a service or a product, I mean, that are they're maybe more ready to effectively take advantage of this approach? Well, I'll start, Robert, and then you can go. Sure. Um, from what I've seen, and Robert works with larger companies because I want to get his take. I work with a lot of the smaller companies. Mm-hmm. What I see in the larger companies from a distance in a lot of cases is that they can't move the big ship. Yeah. It's very hard to cut through all the red tape and to get somebody that's been 20, 30 years in marketing and go to them and say, Hey, we'd like to try this new wacky thing. Can we go ahead and do that with us? If you have a small business owner that believes that they need to be, or they should be the leading expert in their industry over a particular content area to their audience. And if they do that, they could transform the business. They could transform their customers, help their customers' lives, their jobs in some way. That is the 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 lowest hanging fruit, in my opinion. So actually, I think a lot of the innovation, even though all those big companies have, have in some cases, unlimited budgets, or we look from small companies, they look at it, it's like, wow, Nike and Salesforce, they have these unlimited budgets. But if you are a small company, it's easier for you to do this and start monetizing quickly. And and I think that you're a great case study on that. When you got started, John, I think we're a great case study mm-hmm. in 2007. We didn't have two nickels to rub together, but then created the largest audience around the discipline of content marketing and monetize it 10 different ways today. So I'm, but I wanted to get your take, Robert, cause I don't know if you, you agree with me or not on that one. Well, I do. I, I would, here's the way I would frame that is I would, I would say that existing brands and larger companies actually have a distinct advantage of doing this because they can, they can afford 
yeah. to take the risks and and do the things that need to be done that immediately vault them. Johnson & Johnson is a great example of this, right? Being able to acquire babycenter.com for what is ostensibly a rounding error in their overall marketing and advertising budget and try it and make it work. And and so I think larger companies are um, have a, an, an inherent advantage there because they can actually do the things that need to be done to to rise above the noise and 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 make themselves a more or you know content oriented brand. Now, to your point, they don't do it, and the reason they don't do it is because they get they get in their own way with the institutional momentum and the uh, you know inability to change and the quote unquote not on my watch mm. type of uh, programs that are going on in most large organizations. So, you know, you get most CMOs or most senior level marketers who go, yeah, that's a really interesting idea, but I'm going to wait till I'm out of here before you try something like that. Well, well, the time, the time issue is important, right? Because in a lot of, when you're building a business, you know, it takes time, it takes patience. In a lot of cases, it takes three years. And if you tell somebody, you go in and say, oh yeah, we can build a loyal audience. It'll, it takes 12 to 18 months until we get to monetization. They're like, forget that. I'm used to my six month, nine month campaign. That's what we're going to do. So, I mean, it's an investment. You're trying to build an asset and you are investing over time to build this asset. And as you said, Robert, some CMOs are unwilling to do that. Yeah. And that's a problem in the public markets in in general, big companies and small companies, this short term myopia that we now have on, you know, on instant results and, you know, whether we, I mean, that's a whole other, that's a whole other conversation yeah. for different beverages is the, what's wrong with the public markets right now in short term, yeah. you know, thinking. Yeah. We, we start initiatives. We don't finish them. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. We don't do that here. So here's the big question. If we are going to be killing marketing, does that mean we're going to be killing the marketing department? I uh, no. Absolutely not. Um, although it's funny because when we start thinking, there's, I mean, I, I talk about another big conversation. Um, I had this wonderful conversation with Mitch Joel not too long ago, which is, that, you know, has marketing become too big for the marketing department? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was, uh, I'm trying to remember the HP CEO, CEO who, who wrote the great post said, um, marketing is, you know, marketing's too important for the marketing department. <laughs> um, and, um, and, and it, but it's true. It's because it's everybody's, you know, the idea of optimizing the customer journey right. has become such an integral part of the business strategy yeah. that um, it, it it becomes really everybody's remit in some in some form or fashion, whether that's customer service or whether that's sales, mm-hmm. whether that's marketing, it's legal, it's, it's you know, everybody right. interacts with customers these days. And so with data, with AI, with technology, with storytelling, with content, with everything that's going on, has the idea of marketing itself become too big for the CMO? You know, you've seen all these other titles emerge right. recently: chief digital officer, chief co- uh, customer officer, chief content officer. All of these sort of subjugated titles that sort of sit underneath the idea of a CMO. Um, I think marketing, look, I'm a marketing fanboy. I'm a history buff of the, I think it's never been a more exciting time to be in marketing and a more challenging time. And I think the marketing department is more strategic than ever. But, but to our earlier discussion about the, the, the term content marketing, at some point, does it just become so ingrained into the business that it just becomes something different? 
Maybe. I think that's a really interesting idea. Yeah, the solution department or something. Yeah, like that, yeah. well, you know, interestingly, the, the outcome the, department, there we go. Um, um, uh, um, I'm forgetting his name, Eduardo Conrado, who is the chief innovation officer at Motorola Solutions. He merged IT, sales, and marketing together and started calling them the experience group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm seeing a lot of buzz about that around IT, for sure. Yeah. So you profile rightly so netflix and amazon and uh, other companies that you know people can certainly see great example of what you're talking about but they might not be able to relate uh, are there a couple of companies uh that that maybe we've never heard of that you think are kind of grabbing this and running with it and probably we will all hear of them at some point <laughs> uh well, I know Joe has a, a few of these. Let me just go with a couple here. So um, one, um, Indium. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Indium is a soldering company um, and uh, not a large company, mid-sized company. They have created and, – and as a not very large company, you would go, wow, the level of content that they have. They have 23 different blogs focused on different flavors of solder. Huh. That they um, that and and they basically create the trust with uh, with their engineering um, customers to answer every question that they may have, and they translate by the way every one of those twenty three blogs into six different languages. So if you said who's the biggest media company in soldering, I would say it's uh, it, it's 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 Indium. Another one that I would throw out a a, a big Cleveland hat tip to is Lincoln Electric, um, another mid sized company that makes welding torches. Um, and what they've done there with their, their, their efforts to go after new kids, um, you know, that are graduating college to inspire them to become welders and make welding cool again through the idea of what they do through a print magazine and all their online efforts is actually pretty darn interesting. And then the last one I'll mention is just a fun one because we just covered it on the podcast, which is this guy, Joel Salatin, who is a farmer small business farmer out of uh, Virginia. And he has actually, you know, basically looked at the struggles of running a small farm and said, I'm going to transform my farm, which is he really believes in humane practices and green practices and all of that. And he's written 10 books. He's created a website. He's now turned his farm into a little tourist destination where you can come tour about how a green farm works. And he's basically created an entire media brand for himself and his little farm to supplement what he's doing as a as an active farmer. So, and I Joe Joe has a I'm sure. Oh man, well. yeah, John, we could go on forever. I, I I'll give you a small and a big example. The small example, and you mentioned the small business. Jenny Doan um, created. She had a small quilting company, really, really small business, and she sold uh, custom quilting material. And she started a little YouTube channel around it. And it was re it's really, if you go back years ago, it was really hokey, and her and her son were doing it. Well, she's become uh, the, the godmother of the quilting industry, if you will. She has over 300,000 subscribers to her YouTube channel now mm -hmm. in, her, in Hamilton, Missouri, where they're out of. She is now the largest employer of anyone in Hamilton, and it's become in her um, and her fabric company has become like a Disneyland and people come from all over the world to come see her and they're growing like crazy. And how did they do all this? They just built an audience on YouTube and teaching people how to quilt. I mean, that's this is amazing stuff that they were able to do. And the one the other one I'll, I'll share with you, John, is just because 
mer- acquisitions are huge in this whole thing. And Robert, we cover Aero Electronics in the book. My favorite case study right now. Um, there's a there's a long story about why they they did this, and we covered that in the book. We don't have time here, but they purchased. They're basically they're the a B two B electronics distribution company. They have more SKUs than Amazon.com. Mm. They sell electronics gear to engineers, and they purchased 51 different media properties. <laughs> so they are the meet the largest media company in the electronics industry. They reach 76 percent of their total addressable market through those media channels. And by the way, it's all profitable. Those are the things that we're going to start seeing happen. And Robert and I cover this on our This Old Marketing podcast all, all the time, that the more and more you're going to see acquisitions in media, not media company to media company. It's going to be media company to what we perceive as a traditional uh, product brand. And now, I mean, what are we? Are we a media company? Are we a product brand? Well, we're both. It just makes we have to make a decision on how we want to monetize it. Yeah, and there's an element of market domination in kind of first movers on that too, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I Robert and I go talk to. I mean, we've we've been talking to companies about this. I think the first time when when you and I were in Singapore, uh, Robert, we were talking to the big CPG company out there about how they could <laughs> they right. you know they were going after certain audiences and how instead of building it. Why don't they look at acquiring it first? And and to some of these companies, it is a rounding error. Although, as a content marketing institute, we purchased two properties like that. And, and in a lot of cases, it doesn't cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, absolutely. If you can take a shortcut and say, well, I could build this. It's going to take me 12, 18 months, two years to sort of build this go-to destination. Or, oh, here it is over there. That blogger's already built it. Or that influencer's already built it. Or that small media company's already built it. Let's just go out and buy that. And then we become the expert. I mean, there's a, it's a little, little bit more difficult than that, but that's what's going on right now. And and I think that if any company out there, I don't care what size, if you're not looking that looking at that as a possible opportunity, I think you're missing something. Yeah. Well, uh, duct tape marketing is officially for sale, guys. <laughs> there we go. There it is. So, there it is. We're all for sale. Absolutely. <laughs> That's right. So, Joe, Robert, this was awesome. I could go on another hour probably. Uh, um, but uh, I will tell people, go pick up Killing Marketing um, if you want to at least get a, a big, small. I mean, we've discussed really small companies, really big companies. But I think if you want to get a sense of where we are headed in terms of what marketing looks like in the future. I think this is it. So guys, thanks. Hopefully we'll see you in Cleveland or LA someday. Absolutely. Thank you so much, John. Thanks, John. Really appreciate it. Take care. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. I wonder if you could do me a favor. Could you leave an honest review on iTunes? Your ratings and reviews really help, and I promise I read each and every one. Thanks. <laughs>